Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. so glad that you're here. You're going to have to be super engaging with me because I'm used to looking over here for affirmation. And so this is your opportunity. Okay, come on, come on, come on, somebody. So that was it. That was the opportunity. Hey, if you have your Bibles, um, will you turn to two places with me? Matthew chapter 16 and then Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be this morning. And really excited about this series that we've been in and and maybe if you're new to this space today I just want to encourage you we've been in a in a series called who am I and that's just such a pivotal question in our life happy birthday Brian uh, that's a pivotal question in our life who am I I and we're just praying that that we will not uh, give all the definition of who you ever will be on this earth, but we do believe that through six weeks you could come through a process of discovery of who you are in Christ, and through that you're going to have a spiritual formation that happens throughout your journey. But it's all at a starting place, and that's really what we're hoping for in this series. So many of you jumped in life groups, and we're so excited for that. Some of you. Uh, the time, the place did not work out for you for life group. So you decided I'm going to take a host box and I'm just going to lead this with my neighbors or my coworkers or my friends. And I want to applaud you for doing that because that's really a value of ours at Luminous is that you would light the world is our first value. One of our essentials here at our church. And so what does that mean? It means that you would be a city on a hill, that you would be a light on a hill, that no basket could hide you, but that you would be, um, that you would manifest the glory of God in all your spaces, wherever that is. And so that's what we want for your life. If you're new to our church, um, that that's we're going to encourage you to do that. Not all of you will participate, and that's okay. You just keep coming and getting coffee and eating cookies. And I'm just kidding. I'm, I praise God. I mean, spirit of condemnation over here or conviction. I don't. No, whatever the Lord is telling you this morning. Well, I'm excited because we have um, been uh, studying different Bible characters throughout this journey, and we've been in the Old Testament, some of these old historical figures. And so not only through this uh, series, we're um, discovering maybe some identity, but we're also discovering uh, what these characters mean in the Bible and how um, did some of their life apply to us today in this context. And, and so today we're going to look at Peter. Peter is one of my favorite because I can identify with Peter. Can anybody else? Uh, you got to think, Peter, Peter's this fisherman, and he's just ordinary. He's not educated. He didn't go to seminary. I take a lot of comfort in that because I didn't go to seminary. I have a, I have a BBA, you know, and so it's like I, I, I like that Peter was just an ordinary fisherman, and a lot of us didn't do professional seminary or trained in the law professionally or sat under a rabbi for, for 15 years of our life. Anybody do that? I, I, I want to apologize because I said that first service, and then three people who graduated seminary came up to me afterwards. I was like, all right, man, you want the microphone next week? So praise God. 
No, I'm just, I'm thankful that God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things because anything out of your life in Christ is really extraordinary because it's something that you're able to do that you could not do otherwise without him. And so that's what God is calling us to. And Peter had a lot of ups and downs. He had a lot of victorious moments that we're going to read about today, but he also had some down moments. I mean, it kind of the water and him walking on it was indicative of his life wasn't he gets out on the water he's a victorious he's defying gravity by the son of God and and there's this power in him and there's this faith in him and then he looks around at his surroundings and he has a failure right there he begins to sink and that's what I want to talk about today I want to talk about who am I when I fell because truth is we have all fallen haven't we we have all fallen we have all missed the mark we have all come up short we've done different things that cause us to fail and Peter was no exception and so I think there's some things that we can learn and hopefully take away today in Matthew chapter 16 verse 15 it says this he said to them but who do you say that I am Simon Peter replied you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is an amazing moment. This is an amazing passage for us because we see a lot in this passage of this who am I question. We see this first moment where Jesus is asking this question to them. Who do you say I am or who do they say I am? And, and Peter said they, they say other things, but I say that you are the Christ. Christ, Messiah is the word. Somebody who was prophesied in the Jewish people group for thousands of years who would come and liberate the people, set the captives free, do amazing works, sit on the throne, and be king of their nation. This was the Messiah, the Christ. And Peter had this recognition of who Jesus was in that moment. And what is Jesus' response? Well, he says his whole name. And here's the thing is, when Jesus comes to you and reveals himself to you, right, and, and you respond, you are the Christ, he begins to call out your whole name, Benjamin Forrest Chapman. Benjamin, that's my name, Forrest. It was really sad during Forrest Gump when that came out because I, I, I was, I, I was the, the joke of all jokes. But Benjamin Forrest Chapman. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And not only does he say your name, but he says more definition. Because Jesus defines you past your earthly name, but defines you into his body and who he's created you to be. Hey, Chris, we turn this down just a little bit. I feel like I'm echoing. Um, this is what he's called you to be. You'll, you'll never know who you are until you really know Jesus. You never know who you are until you know him, and he will begin to define every aspect of you. What does he say? He doesn't just say his name, but he says that you are Peter, the rock of which the church will be built. And here's an amazing moment for us is that when Jesus reveals himself to you, and you respond with, you are the Christ, this is a salvation moment, 
confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Christ, right? Believe in your heart and you will be saved. And in this moment where you confess and bring about salvation, Jesus starts putting you into a position to be in his church and in his body, that you are no longer just you, but now you're a part of the family. He has adopted you and put you into a community. And in this moment, your life is forever changed. In this moment, your life is transformed. And and this is why we're starting here, because when you ask this question, who am I? You first have to understand who you are in Christ, who you are in Jesus. And that's where it all begins to line up. In this moment, this is where this true identity begins to happen. So we know that in this question of who are you in the midst of failure? This is a big question. And I remember when we started the church, we, we, we started the church, we moved here, and we were meeting in our house for six weeks. And in our house, we were hosting prayer meetings, and we were delivering a word of what kind of people we would be. And we were praying for those who are new to Luminous today. We were praying for you. We're believing that Jesus would bring you in this space, that you would hear the gospel of Jesus and your life would be changed. And I was trying to put my best foot forward because here I am starting a church, trying to preach the gospel and get other people to follow this gospel and take it to the ends of the city, right? And and so I was trying to woo everybody. Anybody have woo winning others over where you try to make a great first impression with everybody? Well, my woo moment was this. Hey, babe, I have a great idea. Babe is my nickname for my wife, you know. So it's also wifey, you know. So wifey, wifey, babe. That's what she is. And I said, hey, check it out. We should or I should just cook for everybody because what's more hospitable than than cooking breakfast for everybody? That would be incredible. And, And I don't cook in my house. I don't cook anything. So my wife looked wide-eyed at me and was like, sure. You know, she was just, she lets me just go out there and do it because I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, praise God for a loving wife who lets me fail. And so here's what happened. We have 40 people coming to the meeting. 40 people need about two and a half slices of bacon a piece, you know, more or less, right? More or less. And, and so I decided that we needed about 120 slices of bacon. Well, have you ever cooked bacon at your house? I mean, maybe some of you don't cook pork, but, but we do. And, and so we were cooking bacon, and six slices of bacon can make you smell like a roasted pig all day, right? What about 120 slices of bacon? I put it in the oven, and then all of a sudden, Man, it filled up with smoke. The, the smoke alarms were going. It was crazy. We're undoing batteries. It's, 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 you couldn't even see. I'm like, where am I? Who am I? You know, all these questions were happening, and, and people were coming over, and I was like, hey, so glad you're here. They're like, who are you? I can't see anything. And I was like, don't worry. It's just the presence of the Lord. We've been praying all night <laughs> for you to come in this place. I failed miserably cooking that breakfast. And and truth is, is we've all failed, and and some of our failures are laughable, aren't they? They're humorous. They're stories that we can laugh about. But other stories are not laughable. Sometimes when we fail, it's it's actually a big deal. 
Some of us have failed in multiple ways because we've stepped out into things that we shouldn't step out into. For instance, maybe we have this whole idea where we want to climb this corporate ladder and we want to get to position or place. And so we end up cutting some corners and doing some things that are unethical in order to get there because we feel all this pressure. Some of us, we, we are in this place where we just, we're emotionally spent and we don't know what to do. And so uh, we, we have been burning the candle on both ends. We haven't been in a good rhythm of Sabbath rest. And we haven't been going to bed on time and waking up on time. And we've been burning the candle on both ends. And as a result, we're up late at night and we're on the internet and we're clicking things that we shouldn't click. You see, some of us have moved in this place of failure that, that, and that because of all these pressures that happen when you are parenting and your kids are running ragged and they're going everywhere and they're not matching and they decided to dress themselves that day and you're just like, what is going on? No, we aren't going out in that. And you start yelling and saying things that you really regret. Some of us, uh, we, we have these thoughts that come into our mind and, 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 and everything's saying, do not say that thought. Do not say it. If you say it, your marriage will be over. Please don't, don't say that thought. And, and so you, you're trying to hold these thoughts captive. And in your friendships, you really, really want to say this to your friend because it makes you feel good. And, and yet uh, you, you want to hold it, but then you just say it. And your friendship has failed. And your marriage has failed. And different failures have happened in your life. See, I, I, I realize this is not a topic just for me or Peter. It's a topic for all of us. And all of us have dealt with failure. And so let's read about Peter's failure in this moment of when he failed in Luke 22, verse 54. And this will make all of us feel better about ourselves just reading this. At least I'm not Peter. Just think about that as we read. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. This is Jesus after he was captured. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times and he went out and wept bitterly i think we can all relate to a moment of weeping after we felt after we felt after we said man we are not going to deny you christ man i am not going to say that word man i am not going to do this in my business man i am not going to do this or that and, and yet it feels like immediately you're doing opposite of what you're saying and and in this moment peter is weeping and i'm just imagine he's thinking about man i knew i couldn't follow christ man everything he said about fishing for men i, I just don't think i can do I'm, I'm, 
I'm such a failure. I'm such a loser. He, he, I let Jesus down. I didn't do what he called me to do. He, he's standing up for God, and I'm turning my back on him. So how do we respond to failure is the big question today. How do we respond when we feel like this? See, failure can do one of two things. It can distort your identity or clarify our identity. It's all about how we respond. So in this book, as we've been reading that Jeff Little wrote, he says it can distort or clarify in this moment. And so there's three healthy responses to failure, three healthy responses if you're taking notes. The first one is separate your failure from your identity. Now, it seems pretty simple, but it's harder to actually walk out. Separate this moment. Separate your failure from your identity. So oftentimes, if you are discipling somebody or you're in a life group and somebody has just admitted that they failed, usually what they'll do is they'll ascribe not just that I failed, but they'll ascribe to I am a failure. You see, our culture is really good at this. You're either on the number one podium and you're first or you're second or third or even last. You, you, you all of a sudden, our culture has put about where you get a degree and, and you are an MBA or you are now a doctor or you are now this or that. And it ascribes our, our identity with our achievement. But if you're really pouring into somebody's life and you are discipling them, it's very good to have a distinction between what's really happening and the thing that you need to affirm every time somebody says, I'm a mistake, you need to rebuttal with, you're not a mistake, you made a mistake. You need to rebuttal this. When every time somebody feels like a failure, you say, you're not a failure, but you may have failed. Just because you have failed doesn't mean you're a failure. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. And those little nuances make all the difference in the world. In fact, I have a real life example of one of my friends growing up. At 12 years of age, he was the pastor's kid. Have you ever gotten heard about PKs? They all get a bad rap for being rebellious, you know. And, and he was a PK and a pastor's kid. And his dad is amazing, grew a phenomenal church and has done just a tremendous job. And, and he, if you get around his dad, you just feel like a million dollars. He will encourage you and, and, and champion you and do all these things. But the age of 12 is very significant. Because that's the moment of this adolescence where you're really shaped into becoming the man or woman God has created you to be at 12 years of age. Your body's changing. All these chemicals are flowing. All this acne is happening. Hair is coming out of every part. Like, it's crazy. It's just crazy, and it's bizarre. You're trying to, you're trying to help them through it. And, and, and for whatever reason, it's the time that you should love and be most intentional with your children at 12 years of age where you really are shaping their identity and who God created them to be. But they're the hardest to love at 12. You know, they are so tough to love. Why does it work that way? And, and so uh, oftentimes in the Jewish culture, you'll notice that at, at the age between 12 and 13, that's the rite of passage to become a man, right? That's a rite of passage into your manhood. And the reason being is because 
you realize that 12 is a pivotal age, but our culture has frozen adolescence, where you don't graduate to manhood from 12 to 13, but you're frozen in this ambiguous time from 12 to 35, where you're an adolescent, and there's no rite of passage. And as a result, what happens in those adolescents can shape your life, can change your life. That's why if you were to grow up in a different culture and say, you're, you're now a man. God has created you for this. I'm going to show you how to live like this. Then, then you know your worth. But, but, but if something damaging happens at that moment, it could define your life for many years past that point. And so here's what happened to my friend is he was doing something like all 12-year-olds. You know, he was probably talking in church or you know, doing something to his sister. I don't know what he was doing. But whatever it was, his dad turned around and he said, you're stupid. One word, two words. You're stupid. And this kid was so afraid. He already let his dad down once. He already felt like embarrassed that he started over the next 13, 14 years trying to overcome this identity of stupid. You see, you see, he, he had this fear of going to his dad saying, that really hurt me. He had a fear of just being reconciled, right? Because if you just reconcile the moment, we can move on and you can continue being the man of God that God created you to be. You can continue growing that, but instead he's just striving and he's just going after everything. Sometimes he's overachieving, right? Sometimes he's just trying to prove that he's not stupid by overly learning. He's trying to overcompensate in different areas of his life, trying to be, trying to be this, this great this great man that his dad would be proud of so that maybe his dad would just take those words away and, and, and say something differently, right? Identify him differently. And, and it, it was a lifelong battle because he believed this one word, this one word. And, and this is a moment where, where, hey, son, that was not very smart. That was a stupid decision. But you're not stupid. You're, you're awesome. I love you. You're amazing. You're great. And I know that we all fail and we all make mistakes. But you're not stupid. It was just a bad decision. As a result, when you have this moment of failure where you fail, a lot of times we stay stuck in adolescence or stuck to doing what God's called us to do. And, and we talk about it a lot where we operate out of this fear of failure. Let me ask three questions to see maybe if you're operating in this mode. Do you ever put off doing something because you're not sure how it will turn out? Do you avoid situations where you will have to try something new in front of people? Have you ever put off doing something you know will improve your life even though you have no good reason not to do it? It's amazing how we, a lot of us are answering yes. In fact, 33% of the room statistically. That, that's the statistic of, of the thousand person survey. <laughs> One out of three are afraid of failure more than they're afraid of ghosts. You know, more than they're afraid of anything else. They're, they're afraid of failure. 
And it paralyzes you and keeps you in this place. It keeps you from place of really moving to what God has called you to do. And the enemy is so good at it when he causes you to fail. He wants you to stay there. See, if the, if the enemy can get you to stay in your failure and identify as a failure, you'll end up doing nothing significant for the kingdom of God. You'll be paralyzed and you won't live out the destiny that God has called you to live out. He won't live this out. You'll stay there. See, the enemy, he, he prowls around like a lion waiting for somebody to devour. He's actually looking for prey, looking for people who are starting this dialogue in their mind, looking for people who have been wounded, looking for people who are believing things. And, and then he's going to get you to think about three things that you'll dialogue with, fear, doubt, and unbelief. If he can get you to marinate on one of those things, it'll keep you from the destiny that you're called to walk in. It'll keep you from walking this out. He'll say things like, oh, you're too far gone. See, I, I told you that you weren't very smart. You should feel ashamed right now because that, that, that relationship you had outside of marriage just went against everything that God says. It was unholy and unpleasing. You're, you're just dirty. And he'll get you to think that over and over, and you'll marinate on it, and you won't be able to move in to what God has for you. This is where the enemy wants you. Don't ever trust anybody again. I see you shouldn't have, shouldn't have confided in that person. Second thing is recognize the factors that fuel failure. Recognize the factors that fuel failure. That, that failure is going to happen, but there's things that can magnify it or fuel it. And when I was a youth pastor, Brandy and I, this was 2008. It was a minute ago. And, and we were married, and we decided to work a fireworks stand in order to raise money, in order to get money to pay off a credit card that we had acquired because we wanted to get debt free. And so we were going to get a check if we just stayed out there and worked the fireworks stand. Well, it was drought season in West Texas and, and the grass was yellow and not green and it was crispy and not moist. You know what I mean? Have you ever experienced grass like that? You step on it and it's crunching under your feet. You're like, am I stepping on something? It's crazy and, and it was very dry and, and I thought it would just be a good idea to entertain everybody because I'm a I'm a performer I'm an entertainer it's how God made me I, I just love it I love when people have a good time it just that's like my fulfillment in life you know and you probably notice that when I chase you out the parking lot and I wave at you and I you know do do strange things but anyway I decided to entertain the kids, and we were throwing fireworks. And as we were throwing fireworks, we were trying to light little patches of grass on fire and then go over there with a the fire extinguisher and put them out or, or try to stomp them out or whatever it may be. It was just like an adrenaline rush, and everybody's having fun. It's like little fires, and then we'll go put it down. Well, then there was a 10-acre field of nothing but crunchy grass. And I decided it would be a great idea to grab one of those artillery shells. And if you're a, if you're a student in here who doesn't, you know, doesn't have formation in your brain yet, 
Don't listen to this. Just tune me out. And, and so I, I took this artillery shell and I lit it and I threw it in the field of this 10-acre crunchy grass field. And I was like, this is amazing. And then all the youth kids were with me. This is really bad. And I could have lost my job. I think this is the first time it went public. So it's on Facebook Live right now. Praise God. I don't work there. And all the youth kids were with me. And in this moment, I, I, we were going to run to, to stomp out the fire. But I said, hey, wait, 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 wait. Let it grow a little bit. Like, let it, let it get exciting for us. You know, we go right now, we'll just put it out real quick. So we waited till we could see the flames. That's a bad idea in West Texas with crunchy grass and wind that never stops. And so the fire was out of control. We ran over there. We got the floor mats. We got jackets. We were trying to put out this fire. It was like wild, wild west days. It was awesome and not awesome at the same time because we almost lit the whole city on fire and literally... And, and it was this crazy moment where I almost lost my marriage because my wife was very heated, um, literally and physically uh, and, 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 metaf- and emotionally. It was crazy. So, so the whole grass lit on fire and we barely put it out and our faces were red and swollen, first degree burns. And it was really, really dumb. That was a moment I failed. It was a, it was a real life failure for me. And it was also this moment realizing that you can feel your failure. That if it, you can feel it, if you don't put it out when it's small, if you don't deal with it when it's little, it can grow very quickly. And it can affect your life in great ways. There's, there's four factors that, that fuel failure. Good intentions without wisdom. When you have good intentions without the Holy Spirit, when you're making decisions and they seem good, But you never consulted the friendships and the covenant brothers and sisters around you. You never consulted the Holy Spirit. Well, oftentimes, I'm just going to let you know that can fuel failure in your life. And you may wake up one day, why do I keep failing? Well, this is maybe you've been putting some gasoline on it. The other one is emotional pressure. We talked about this earlier, but the truth is, it's like, Life hits hard. There's a lot of pressure in life emotionally. And and we don't necessarily have the emotional maturation. We don't have a real high EQ to deal with it. Because everything's so instantly gratifying in our culture. Right? If I want a pizza, I just go get a hot and ready. You know, it's, it's crazy. And, and this is what I do is, is when I feel the emotional stress in my life, I just go to the pantry and I see how many Twinkies I can eat in one moment. I just put them down. Come on. This feels awesome for a moment. Or, or maybe we gratify in some other way. Maybe we've been doing some other thing when emotional pressure happens. Literally, I'm going to say this again. Some of you need to go to bed at 1030 and not 230. They would change your life drastically. Because of this emotional pressure, we just have to get in some good rhythms some good rhythms of our life, some good Sabbaths, some good Sabbath rhythms where we're resting and we're taking care of our soul and, and we know these outlets. The other thing is just willful disobedience can fuel failure. Where maybe things aren't working out like you had hoped they would have worked out. Maybe, maybe it's just like thing in, things in life are just hitting you so hard right now where you start to shift the blame from other people to God. And you say, you know what, God, I just, 
to be honest, I just don't think this is the best. And my experience in this moment is not the best. And therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to willingly walk away from you. And that is called rebellion from God, which the Bible would attribute to witchcraft. And you do this moment because you think it's best for your life. But, but the truth is, I'm going to tell you that it's not. That Jesus wants the best for your life. That he has the best in mind for you. That he is loving and gracious. That he is love. It says God is love. And if, if love is the only place to walk in where you truly find freedom, then wouldn't you walk in the ways of God? And the last thing is circumstances beyond your control will feel failure. And this is just part of living in a fallen world where there'll be economic collapse. There will be, there will be catastrophic things that happen and they'll, they'll come about. But what do we do and how do, how do we get hope when there, everything seems so hopeless? How do we move to a place of hope? We have to realize, number four, three, Jesus sees and is working towards the best version of you. Jesus sees you and he's working to the, towards the best version of who you are. When Peter failed, what did he do? He went back to fishing. He went back to fishing. Failure will bring you back to the familiar, the familiar of life before Christ. It'll move you to these old sin patterns and these old ways or maybe just old routine or, or anything that, that is not what God has called you to do. You see, he didn't realize that he could fish for men because he failed the one who told him that. But the truth is, is that Jesus has always seen this in Peter. And it's why he was very intentional about showing up to Peter. When Peter denied Jesus around the first fire, there was a second fire that Peter was around. And in that moment, in that moment when Peter was around that fire, Jesus showed up. And in John 21, 15, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Three times Peter denies around one fire. And three times Jesus restores around another fire. Uh, where are you today? Jesus wants to get around your campfire. And he wants to bring life to you and restore you in the way that is possible, that only he can do. See, the question of who am I really stems down to this question. Do I love Jesus? Am I receiving his love? Would you stand with me this morning? And I just want to encourage you of two things. First, this. It's good to know that Peter failed and was restored. That's hopeful. It's good to know that, that Peter failed in the moment where Jesus looked him in the eyes, realizing him and seeing him in his failure, and yet comes back to restore him into righteousness. Wherever you are in your failure, Jesus is looking at you and wants to restore you back into righteousness. For those who don't know Christ, and you've been trying to figure out this answer, the truth is, is because you're unrighteous. 
You're separated from a loving God because of sin and shame and guilt. But Jesus came to restore you back into a relationship with a loving God. That's the first answer to your question if you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to step out and do that today. We see this other moment where Jesus almost seems like he was a failure. You see, when he was on the cross, the Messiah, and it looks like he failed. But it was actually a setup to the success of the resurrection, to the success of the power over the grave. What looked like a failure to the disciples as they scattered, they realized was actually a setup to something that God wanted to do so much greater. And I want to just let you know, if you've failed, you're not a failure, but God's going to use that moment you failed and your mistakes to be a part of his story that he's writing through you so that you can be a witness to tell other people of what Jesus has done for you. 